HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. everyone and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And on today's episode, we have Martin Bose of Bosca. He is the CEO and founder of Bosca Food Tools. Bosca originated in Holland over 125 years ago and sells over 2,000 different food tools with a focus on cheese. They've become a fan favorite of cheese professionals around the U.S. And for the everyday consumer, they produce party clets, aka raclette melters, to fondue pots. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So um, the very last time you were on the show was over 10 years ago, and it was for a 10-minute interview. It's been with, a while, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was for a short interview with Ann Saxelby over the phone. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on today so that we can delve in a little deeper and um, kind of learn a little bit more about Bosca. Um, because I, it, now you can tell me, how do you feel the expectations of cheese tools have changed in the last 10 years? Oh, that's an interesting one. The expectations have changed. Um, entertaining became even more important. Of course, a lot happened during COVID where uh, home cooking and uh, indulging yourself uh, uh, at home became more and more important. So uh, that part changed as well as the quality standards uh, luckily changed because we're a big fan of uh, producing high quality uh, uh, products, uh, housewares, home tools, kitchen tools, uh, food tools for life, as we uh, name them. And uh, these quality standards became more important because sustainability uh, 10 years ago wasn't as big as, a, as an importance or a trend as it is now. It's definitely, it was not a hype. It's definitely here to stay. And especially in Western Europe, uh, and that became uh, very important, and we see the same now in the U.S. And that's, uh, I think these things changed for us, uh, specifically on cheese. Um, it's more about the, the sexiness of melting cheese. Uh, you already mentioned raclette. Uh, yeah. That does very well online, so it's very, let's say, uh, Instagrammable. <laughs> so these things uh, didn't really happen 10 years ago as they are happening now. But you had, it was great. You had the, the forecasting, the, you know, you were on the forefront of it because you said, and this is now, I'm telling you, 10 years ago, you said, I believe party clets, raclette parties are going to be the next big thing. 
And I really think I do see it now. Like when people are having cheese parties, they're melting cheese on potatoes. And, and I believe your products are, are the reason for that. I mean, have you expanded that line even, or is it just like the one type of uh, party clut? And that's all you need. No, no, no. We we have expanded. Uh, we got we got like candlelight from two to four to eight piece. We got electrical. We got uh, for half a wheel of cheese for just uh, tiny slices of cheese to make it more fun on the table as a little bar snack. But um, I mean, it wasn't. Of course, it wasn't just us. It's it's the cheese guys that uh, always try to uh, to promote their cheese. But they might, sometimes they need a little. Uh, pusher and uh and then we are the enabler let's say uh, to make uh, eating their cheese a bit more fun we were also lucky that insider foods a couple of years ago a week before christmas uh, made a little video with our party clets and i got a phone call hey you're going viral i said okay interesting so i'm looking online see uh, 10,000 views 15,000 20,000 and i look again and it's not 20k it was 20m so it was 20 million views, 30 million views, up to 47 million views. Actually, it wasn't Instagram, it was Facebook. Also okay. Instagram, but Facebook was the big uh, hit at that time. 47 million views. And that actually, we were sold out within eight hours in the US, in Germany, in Holland, in the UK, in France. Eight hours. We didn't have enough inventory, definitely not, to, oh um, to, to actually uh, 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 cover. Yeah, exactly, to cover the... The demand, but um, that helped. So sometimes you got to be a bit lucky as well. Uh, but the product was there. Uh, we promoted it and somebody picked it up. And then especially the cheese guys, I think, are very happy because we sell these tools once and the cheese is being eaten every time. So we got good friends in France and Switzerland. And nowadays, actually, also American produced raclette because raclette, some people might uh, still not know, but there's a... It's, it, it means scraping, but it also is a raclette cheese from uh, the Alps and the Jura in uh, France and in uh, Switzerland. So uh, uh, nah, these guys were happy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you sort of mentioned it briefly just right now, and I know we talked about it in our pre-chat. Um, you mentioned that uh, when somebody buys a tool, a food tool at Bosca, there's a lifetime guarantee. Because you just mentioned you were like, oh, somebody buys it once and they're good. You know, uh, how important is this to you to offer this for your products? Because I think it's it's super cool that you're doing that. Thank you. Um, now it's it's literally my uh, my father, 83 years old. He's he's, he's a businessman and he loves good products because we've always been selling products that last a lifetime for industrial use. But I started with consumer products and he was jealous because there's rotation in consumer products. Hey, you sell every day and people keep on buying it. Uh, so he was a bit worried, actually. He said, are you sure you really going to offer lifetime guarantee? Because that means that you got to get rid of some of the assortment. I said, it's exactly what we want to do. Yeah, but then you're never going to sell anymore. He said, now I think there's like almost 8 billion people in the planet. And <laughs> most of them eat cheese. So there's enough, there's enough to do still. And it actually became our unique selling point. That doesn't mean that we're the most successful business in sales. And that still means that it's pretty hard because our rot- rotation of the same product is hardly there. If you know what I mean, eh? we sell yeah. a cheese plane once and never again. So it's a yeah. pretty bad business model, but it distinguishes ourselves uh, uh, sadly, but from a big uh, chunk of the market because 
there's not so much quality. And if people are happy with their cheese plane they buy, they're going to look, hey, is there more? And now we have a pizza wheel uh, in the same line. Uh, we have a meat knife in the same collection. We have uh, different cheese knives. So for us, the commercial uh, solution is collectability. The people are literally going to collect these products or they're so happy with the product that they're going to give it away as a present. So 56% of our revenue is a uh, gift is gift. So that's additional sales as well. So it's my goal to make these people that buy ones that make them very happy. And I never have to sell them anything again. Uh, so we make lifetime, we give lifetime guarantee on 53% of the items right now, the rest 10 years. So we're still working on a hundred percent hard to do for example with uh, electrical machines we give a 10-year guarantee and that's already hard because there's still plastics mm. um, uh, needed for these products and we try not to use any plastics and it's hard but almost there so we work besides the lifetime guarantee also with timeless design so stone steel wood all natural products and the only colors black and white so this is kind of our sustainability pitch you say hey you buy it once and it's still nice after 20 years it's not this fancy color that you don't like anymore next year's year or not never going to use the product anymore or you're going to throw it away and buy a new one and we think that's yeah that's not how we should treat the planet right now and i think everybody's becoming aware of that so it's a commercial decision it's a branding decision and it feels really good to uh, to um to actually to offer this uh, yeah in contrast of what uh, a big chunk of the market is still offering yeah no no I, I love that that you guys are developing a timeless quality to your products the fact that like you said it's made with the highest quality materials um that's just i think that's perfect and it's it's what the world needs right now so i, I love that you are you're working that side of the business into it yeah, and we see that more and more people are following us right now. Yeah, in on, online or in real life? I think in real life, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, cool. Uh, <laughs> no, um, we hope that the industry, of course, is following us. It's not that we want to be the only one. Of course, I like the fact that we were the first one. But we see that, for example, several uh, housewares companies in the Netherlands now became a B Corp as well, offering 10-year guarantee. And I think that's amazing because uh, then that means that the end consumer is becoming aware of what we're actually offering. And we can never do that alone. We're a small company. So uh, we need uh, others in the industry to follow or to join. And, um, and that way, I think uh, it's not just us. It's, uh, it's all together. Certainly, certainly. And actually, I wanted to bring up, uh, because I'm not sure everyone understands the history of Bosca, um, because you're part of a family business that's been existing for 125 years. Um, I wanted you to, if you could talk about your great grandfather and his background as a blacksmith and how it's matured um, just for, you know, briefly go over the history of Bosco because I think it's fascinating. How did it start? And, you know, how did you get to be in charge of it in the last, I think it's decade plus now, you know, definitely uh, two decades plus. So um, actually I, uh, I bought the company. I mean, it's a family company, but I didn't just get it. <laughs> sure. Uh, over 21 years ago. So that's, uh, that's I'm in charge since 2002. But I'm the fourth generation. Uh, my uh, great-grandfather started in a little town next to Gouda as a blacksmith. Um, that was in 1896. 
Um, and being that blacksmith, uh, he was located on Church Street. And Church Street was, of course, next to the church. And the church uh, had a big square. And on the square in front of the church is where the cheese was traded. And so I was lit- I'm literally born in Gouda, as, as most of my family is. But that little town next to Gouda actually became a world champion in cheese. So there's nev- nowhere in the world as much cheese as in our little village. It's a village of only 20,000 uh, inhabitants. And uh, there's uh, cheese trade over a couple of billions in, in, in dollars, but also stored and uh, uh, traded about 20, 40 million pounds of wow. cheese stored on a daily basis. So it's an enormous industry. Um, sadly, there's no cheese in Gouda anymore. It used to be uh, the big trading market in the 16th, 17th century. And then uh, our village took over. Uh, so that that uh, helped uh, being a blacksmith. The cheese um, traders came with their horse and carriage for uh, new horseshoes uh, to the, the blacksmith. And they asked, hey, can you make us a cheese tester, a cheese iron? Can you make us a cheese knife? Uh, we have these big, big Gouda wheels with the hard rind. Is there a solution easier than these big knives uh, to start cutting these cheeses? So uh, we, we developed uh, semi-round knives to, uh, with a side handle to, to be more stable and to cut through the hard cheeses. And later on, we developed a wire cutter as most of uh, you know, but the, the wire cutters that are in uh, loads of stores worldwide now uh, is actually uh, one of them uh, was invented by my father. Oh. So the blacksmith be- became professional tools for cheese. And when I took over, I started with the consumer brand because we were, we've been selling cheese planes for over 60 years, but there was mostly the cheese brand name printed on the cheese planes. We still do that, by the way. Uh, with an etching uh, method so uh, or laser engraving. But there was no Bosca on it. So when I started, I was like, hey, mm-hmm. why, uh, why are we only building their brand and not our own? Because I think we can do more than just a cheese plane. So we started exporting from two countries now to 108 countries. We started producing consumer items, everything around cheese, about 300 products, 300 SKUs as we call them, around cheese, for cheese curling uh, of the Tête de cheese of of Switzerland, uh, for raclette, for fondue, for grating, knives for uh, cutting, of course, boards, aprons, uh, everything around cheese. And now we developed even more. We do the same trick in a way because what we're good at is, is melting and presenting and cutting. So we make knives for pizza, we make uh, fondue for chocolate, and um, and we make uh, uh, boards for meat. So that's how we try to extend our line besides cheese. But the core, ninety percent of our business is still all around cheese. And in that uh, sense, I was very lucky that uh, we were located where we were. That my uh, great grandfather built that base. That my father really started uh, designing uh, more and more. Uh, industrial cuttering solutions and yeah we kind of copied that but then for the end consumer so that's that's our story yeah no and I, and I love it and i think what is also amazing is now you're leading the company to become a b core and uh, i wanted to know from you how has that changed your yes. your thinking you know how has that made your company better 
Now, that's that's actually interesting. That's two different things because um, it definitely helps to make our company better. Uh, but the thinking changed before. Uh, we, you were actually mentioning 10 years ago what changed. Now, 10 years ago, uh, we, we kind of did the same as what we're doing now. The, so our what, eh, the Simon Sinek, uh, why, how, what, our what was my, maybe the same. But I was challenging our why. Why are we here? What do we contribute besides people eating more cheese? And what's our uh, um, vision and mission for the company? And of course, we always look at the trends in the world and what what actually uh, draws our attention. And that was sustainability. And I looked into circular business modeling. Um, but is people are people really going to rent a cheese fondue or a cheese plane? I didn't see it working. Mm. Cradle to cradle. Are we going to return a stainless steel cheese plane uh, sometimes in uh, on the other side of the world and then melt it back and create a new one? I didn't see the solution there either. So I was a bit stuck. And after w- struggling for actually for three years and doing the, all, these, uh, all these advisors and all these beautiful thinkers, didn't really... They helped me in the process, but the, the, the solution was so close by and I didn't see it. And when we did a consumer um, research, people just gave back, yeah, the only thing we know you for is not because you guys are a cool company, uh, you're nice talkers. No, we know you because you deliver quality. Mm. And I was like, so why do we need cradle to cradle if people actually never throw the product away why don't we just focus on that quality part and that resonated so we made the decision uh, for that 10-year guarantee and then uh, we added lifetime guarantee two years ago uh, so that was the big vision mission change and in the same period of time i got to know b corp uh, for the people that don't know, it's actually in the US, it's an official entity. It stands for Beneficial Corporation, found by a nonprofit called B Lab. And I heard them speak in a, in a conference in Canada eight years ago. It's like, hey, this is, this is interesting, guys. But I didn't know how to implement or how, what to do with it in my company. But uh, three years uh, fast forward, we figured out what our mission was to change the industry standard into a lifetime guarantee. And then I remembered B Corp. I did a B Corp track of half a year, so explaining what B Corp was and if we could become a B Corp as our own company. And that was, in my eyes, definitely not the goal to become a B Corp, but the perfect uh, guidance uh, to get better every day and uh, to actually uh, um, work on our mission. So what B Corp does is actually there um, a guideline and a check. So an accountability um, tool for ourselves to really do what we're saying and also to show the world that what we say is true because we're being checked by external parties. Um, but even change our uh, corporate statements, uh, really um, do good work and uh, part of our revenue goes to uh, um, good projects, but also part of our revenue goes to uh, CO2 emission, um, 
to, to make sure actually we cool down the planet. So we have a big uh, plan in Tanzania and Africa where desert becomes green again. So mm-hmm. it's a very simple pro- uh, project. It's called Just Dig It. So we dig holes and because it's raining in the desert, believe it or not. It's not the Sahara, but it's in Tanzania. It's raining enough. The, the water just evaporates, it's dry land. If you dig a hole, water centrates, and within four months, it's green. Within two years, you got trees. So we're actually cooling down the planet by growing trees and bringing back biodiversity. Stuff like that wouldn't come up with me 10 years ago. And now, because we're becoming more and more aware, we're learning every day what we do, let's let's say, what we do wrong for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now we change that. And... Uh, so B Corp is a guidance and a fantastic accountability partner, but it's also great for, hey, it's also commercial because it's great for PR and we can officially use our stamp sustainability, sustainable, which brings us more sales in our online marketplaces, for example. It's great for employer branding because all the millennials in Holland are uh, very aware uh, of what, what they uh, what, what's happening in the world and what they want. And they want impact. They want to... There, there's there's a lot of uh, business in the world anyways but uh, there's a lot of jobs sorry there's a, a, enough jobs for them but there's not um, yeah there 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 so there's it's hard for them to distinguish uh, for the companies to distinguish themselves and if they're a b corp it works fantastic yeah no i i love the cycle of it i think that's that's really amazing that you guys are doing it and um it's a good model for everyone in the world. Um, Martin, we're just going to take a quick break. Um, hey, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd. Um, I'm your host, Kara Warren, and we will be right back. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone, to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I'm here with Martin of Bosca. We're talking about cheese parties. We're talking about cheese curlers. Um, we were just going over B Corps before. Uh, but now I have a fun question because uh, I learned that he's a royal family favorite. And I, <laughs> I want to know, what does it mean to be uh, a certified purveyor to the royal household? And, uh, you know, what does that mean for you? Uh, does that say something about the brand that it's or the tools that they're they're that great that the royal family can have it? What it, what does it all mean? <laughs> okay, uh, this is an interesting. Uh, do you want me to be honest? <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> or do you it, want me to tell? <laughs> you know, you can give me both answers because I'm interested in both of these things because I feel like it is it is it is really cool and. Uh, but it's also probably like uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a business thing too. I don't know. You tell me though. It's 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 all of the above. Bob. And if you're a Republican, uh, you might think, uh, what is it worth to supply the royal family? But 
what it actually means to me. Uh, so this is honest. It's both honest, actually, but it's just some people don't want to hear this. Uh, for me, it's um, actually a proof of that, that what we're saying, what my family did uh, over the last 125 years is, is true, is uh, rewarded, and that um, because what, what, what's happening is that the, the government in the Netherlands uh, and uh, the royal family, uh, if you're 100 years old as a company or 125 or 150 years old, it's only every 25 years and it starts with 100 years old, uh, then you become a royal company or you become a um, purveyor to the royal court, as we say. Uh, that means that uh, um, people from the royal family come to visit you, that the government comes to visit you. But before that, for about a year, year and a half, they check everything, your books, if you've been a good person if you behaved well <laughs> if my father of 83 years old behaved well that was the scariest part because <laughs> he had a longer <laughs> life than i had but but um but he did well so he, he was he was a decent boy apparently and um uh that uh at the end i thought my father is a calvinistic uh, person and he just always said you know what you don't have to talk about the family business or about four generations or about uh, branding or about the fact that you are now royal. It's just make a good product and then the rest will follow. Now, I learned in the States and in Japan and that that's not always the case. You, it's a busy world nowadays in communication. So you got to scream uh, if you're a small company and you got to show off sometimes a bit. And when I told the story of the fourth generation, when I had some Japanese clients, it was 20 years ago at a big food show. Some of your listeners will know it. It's the CL in Paris, one of the first biggest shows. I uh, One of the first big shows that I attended with an own booth. I got my uh, still current distributor from uh, Japan over. And we didn't know each other. So I, I explained uh, what we did. And he said, okay, it's nice what you do, but why do you do it? And where did you come from? And uh, how long is the company existing? I said, I, actually, the company already exists for 120 years, now 127. And then the big, the big guys came out and they, uh, they wanted to know everything. And then I realized what a value our story had, where in the Netherlands, that's, that's not so much of value. So becoming royal or a purveyor to the royal court uh i thought it wouldn't do too much to my father but he's 83 now and this was two years ago last last year january and um i think he didn't want to show it but he came became very emotional and he was very proud and uh so it did do a lot more to him uh so he was he was proud and at the end of the day uh uh, we can say that we're prepared to the royal court. The cheese plane with Swarovski diamonds uh, is now being used in uh, the castles in Holland uh, where the royal family still lives. So it's it's a fun story. Oh my goodness, I want to look that up. <laughs> I want to see what that looks like. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I had another funny question that I thought of. Um, you know, I was thinking, what would Martin do if he was stuck on a mountain with like lots of different cheeses, which, which cheese tool would you choose? If you could only take one, which, which cheese tool would it be? On a mountain. With lots of cheese. <laughs> with lots of cheese. 
and it has to fit the mountain. And uh, since the Netherlands is, uh, <laughs> I think, the flattest country in the world, uh, for me, the mountain is uh, is skiing. Uh, every year we go to uh, the south of France or Switzerland or Austria, and uh, we try to ski or snowboard and uh, and and enjoy life there. And that's. Uh, when fondue raclette and the tetemoin, the cheese curler, comes in. Uh, but I think I would know how to uh, melt the cheese with a little fire and a pot and a pan. Uh, same with raclette. But I think I'll pick the cheese curler because the tetemoin is, is, is actually a nice story. It's a uh, cheese uh, that was invented in 1192 in the Abbey of the Belay. And uh, in the Jura, and it's ex- it's a beautiful uh, monk's cheese. And because you cut off the top of the cheese, they call it the monk's head cheese, the tête de moin, head of the monk. Um, and the cheese is fantastic if you eat it very thin, with a cheese plane that makes very thin slices, or with a curler. So you scrape the cheese off and you have you, it becomes a flour of cheese and because it's so thin and it mixed with good oxygen uh, like you drink a good of glo- good glass of wine you 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 need oxygen to taste it and to to, to get it into your palais um, now that's where the cheese curler comes in so i would pick that tool because i wouldn't know how to eat it different because if you eat it just in a chunk it's not so good. If you eat it as a thin flour of cheese, it's delicious. So I think that's my pick. Is that a good uh, is that a good uh, answer? I think it's a great answer because it was very logical, and um, I do really feel like rosettes, cheese rosettes, are having a moment right now. And um, cheese curlers, I think everyone should have one. Uh, you you know, call it if, rosettes. Yes, oh, we call okay. them rosettes yeah, in the U- yeah. U.S. At least that's. Uh, what the Swiss marketing has trained me to call it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah I, I think it's a very smart pick. I think it's really good. Um, actually, I wanted to follow up because it's kind of like a gift as well. Are you seeing, and maybe you mentioned this earlier in the episode, but are you seeing more of corporate gifting for cheese tools? Are they, are they becoming wedding party gifts? How has that been working for Bosca? Now, we've, we've been... We've been uh, uh, supplying to that market for a long time as well as uh, for example in the Netherlands tourism is a big part because people come to the Netherlands and they want an original tool from our place um, but there's Christmas packages uh, gift a gift for Christmas which is in Europe not very high uh, uh, not, not a very big amount of money that's been given to that it's in the opposite of the States by the way um, so people want value for money but they actually sometimes accept no value for money so they want something big and it it doesn't matter if it works or not it totally doesn't fit our company but corporate gifting is different because corporate gifting people want to give something that's durable that's that's actually being used for another another 20 years so that's perfect for our products because that's actually our whole pitch so we see that corporate gifting is picking up and in the past it was more food, mm-hmm. nice chocolate or a, a, a big smoked salmon from Norway or uh, uh, um, uh, sorry, cosmetics, for example, fantastic gifts. But they're, they're, not, so, they're not sustainable and they're not, they're not there to stay. So we see that um, 
corporate gifting is shifting in general a lot to to housewares because housewares are there to stay. You see them every day. You use them. They're in your drawer or even better, they're visible in your kitchen. So cheese boards, for example, with engraving are a big thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Europe, a cheese plane, everybody in the average amount of cheese plates in a household is 2.7, by the way. So everybody uses one. And yeah, there's, of course, also products that don't work. And if the one that works has your name on it, ah, that's, that's a, big, uh, a big one. But um, also now uh, whole kitchen knife collections that's in your kitchen every day, very visible. So, yeah, we see that the corporate gifting is, uh, is growing, picking up. And I think we can do a lot more there. Uh, but uh, we can do it. We're, we're, we're a factory. We design, we develop. So we sell to resellers and not so much to uh, directly to consume, to customer, to, to companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that could be um, a big potential for the future. And um, in your different types of cheese knives, um, so there's everyday consumer knives and then there's cheese professional knives. How are they different? Is it is it just a material thing, or, or some of its design? How do you how do you make the difference? Uh, now, in use, we try not to make them them that different, but we see that people in the industry uh, want bigger, heavier tools, um, and uh, they're willing to pay a little bit more. Um, so that that sometimes uh, helps in design. Solid handle versus a hollow handle, for example. Uh, we make solid handles with cast iron uh, in it, and that that yeah, that's fantastic. And that's sometimes not always necessary for end consumers that only use it a couple of times a year. Uh, so that's uh, in knives. That's uh, that's the, the biggest difference. And there's of course very special knives that if you cut uh, a big Gouda wheel or um, a Conte, etc. But especially actually cheeses with hard rinds, mm-hmm. they're hard uh, to cut. So we have enormous knives like like they're uh, uh, 15 inch uh they're half round and why half round because you when you press the knife you don't want to cut the whole rind at the same time so you cut only one inch at a time hey that reminds me of a movie uh, <laughs> one inch at a time and uh that cuts the rind entirely um so these these are specific knives wire cutters the same story the uh, best way to cut the cheese is with a wire. You need to score the cheese first in the rind because a wire is strong but not sharp. So we need a scoring knife. And then with the wire, you have no cutting loss. It's, it's, it's fantastic for the uh, construction of the cheese because if you, if you use, for example, meat slicer, an electric meat slicer for cheese, it's really bad because it changes the structure of the cheese and the oxygen, it kills the oxygen. Uh, also the knife becomes too hot sometimes so it almost melts the cheese so you want to you don't want to slice the cheese you want to cut the cheese and uh, preferably uh, if possible with a wire uh, because also less uh, less pressure economically better and you have less uh, waste so i can continue for hours about this because we have a lot of these items uh, that are specifically for the professional and not so much for uh, use in uh, indoor in-house yeah and uh, i mean one of the things i wanted to also just point out to the listeners is um where do you think is the best place to buy bosco tools is it online or is it certain types of stores uh because here they've heard everything about how awesome they are 
and uh, I would love for them to be able to find where to buy them. <laughs> now, uh, uh, to be honest, our, our strategy, uh, you, you, you can know our strategy yeah? uh, because some people hide that. I told you about our mission and our vision, mm-hmm. but how we get there as a company to really make impact, we have three things. We want to be a cool brand. So we do weird photo shoots. We try to work a lot together uh, with the industry. Uh, so that's one part, branding. Other part is giftable and collectible. So we make good products, uh, but to, to run the business and to make some money, we try to make them collectible so that they all belong together. So we do a lot in design. We have a lot of industrial designers. Luckily, Holland has, yeah, is, 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 has one of the best uh, design schools, industrial design schools. Uh, the Technical University of Delft and Eindhoven are both amazing level like top of the world so that's what we do with uh, collectability and design and then giftability products should be wrapped well and look fantastic so that's the two and the number three and that's when i get to the answer is availability so when people want to know where to get us um i want to make sure that we make it as easy as possible of course retail has been especially uh, non-food retail has been struggling over the last years um but if we look at retail, with, they only sell part of our selection, sadly, but it's Williams-Sonoma, for example, the kitchen stores, uh, Crate and Barrel. Uh, but I also really like the, the distribution via the, 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 the people that actually know the real use, and that's the cheese stores. So most of the cheese stores sell our products, luckily, and uh, high-end grocery, high-end like Wegmans or Whole Foods or... Uh, uh, Murray's uh, stores in the Kroger's do a fantastic job. Uh, now the biggest, let's say, specialty uh, cheese store chain in the world. Uh, so I think uh, that's all for what Murray's did. And uh, we see also now that, that HCB in Texas does an amazing job there. So the specialty uh, cut and wrap facilities in the grocery stores, the high-end grocery stores, really make a difference to what's happening online. So... Uh, heads off for them and then of course because we want to be available we're at amazon and because we want to make life easy for the end consumer um, so amazon carries the biggest uh, assortment biggest range uh, but amazon can't explain what cheese to use for what tool and uh, how to make the perfect cross uh, merchandise in these combinations so we really uh, we really like the 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 still the retail uh floor and that's also where a big of our chunk of our focus is and then uh, last but not least by the way is of course bosca.com yeah well i mean that's you got to be accessible yeah exactly we got to be accessible available uh, our own website of course carries everything but people like easy so they order at amazon anyways or they uh, go to their kroger stores anyways and then uh, they buy us so 95 percent is via resellers five percent is at bosca.com uh, where, yeah, we, we have the whole uh, assortment. So, of course, we love people to go there. But it's not uh, that uh, we can never compete with somebody that actually sells cheese and our accessories next to it. And that's fantastic because we need each other. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I was just thinking about how Bosca is part of the cheese experience and part of a gathering. Like having the right cheese tools makes the 
the party or the experience better. Um, and I just, I guess I just wanted to have this one final question because I remember what you said to Anne back, uh, some years ago, which is, you know, it's very important to you to create a cheese experience for cheese gatherings. And I just, I was wondering if you could just re-explain that again and why that's so important. Why is it important to have great cheese experiences and cheese gatherings? I gotta be honest. I don't have a clue what I told you, uh, Anna, ten years ago. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's the similar thinking. Yeah. I always think uh, the real conversation starts at the table, and uh, of course, it's not the food. It's also not the tools. It's the people you're eating with. So it's people, and uh, we are facilitator. That's that's our job to make. Uh, Life a bit easier, but a bit more fun as well. And I believe a bit of interaction on the table. So we were talking about a cheese curler, which is a very specific tool, of course, but also fondue. When there's one fondue pot on the table, it's it's entertainment, it's interaction. Uh, people gotta be involved, and I think that's where we come in. Uh, also, uh, a bit of education. Uh, what's the perfect cheese board? And I'm not the guy that's gonna tell you which which cheese because I'm not a cheese producer. But what I do like to explain, my friends, for example, is, guys, did you know there are different kinds of cheeses? Yeah, what do you mean? Uh, of course we know. Say, what do you mean? What do you mean? Not mm-hmm. French cheese and uh, Dutch cheese, or uh, we got Brie and we got uh, Gouda. Okay, that, that's, that, that's true. Uh, but do you realize that there's different colors in these cheese uh, uh, departments and these colors are segments? So you got... Fresh cheese, and you got white cheese, and you white malt, and you got red bacteria or washed rind, and you have blue vein cheese, and then there's hard cheese. And then people are like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got goat, and you got cow, and you got sheep. People get that. But I tr- try to make it simple say, okay, if you have a cheese board and you only want to use three cheeses, and hopefully you like them, take red, white, and blue. And my minimum of, of my cheese boards at home are five where I add some fresh cheese and some hard cheese. So it's five cheese. you got a nice story to tell. So if you're a host and you want to make it simple for yourself so you don't need to be in the kitchen the whole time, but you can be together with your guests on the table, you have a nice story to tell about your cheeses, uh, or you do it all together. You melt the raclette on the table or the fondue, and you interact with yourself. I think, I think that's party on the table. And um, that's where good conversations start and that's where fun happens. So that's, uh, that's what I like. I'm not, I'm not the, the best chef, but I think I'm pretty good at throwing parties where people interact. And that's, uh, I think, my job in life or so. <laughs> Martin, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to say you do throw the best parties. I've been to a few of your cheese parties before for different awesome cheese conferences and party things. And uh, you, you know how to party, my friend. So um, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for being uh, your best Martin self and t- teaching us about Bosca because I, I think not enough people knew that history yet. So I just want to say thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity and to stay uh, friends in cheese. Let's continue the journey together. Absolutely. So please follow Bosca on Instagram at Bosca underscore food tools or go to their website, usa.bosca.com. Plus, you can follow us at Cutting the Curd and myself at Carol Warren. And please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, don't forget to give a five-star review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks, and eat more cheese.
heard is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.